You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is Russell Allen Willems, and you're listening to Profiles in CRM. Welcome to Profiles in CRM, episode number two. I'm your host, Chris Webster. Profiles in CRM asks CRM professionals eight simple questions. The answers vary wildly depending on their experience and education. Because of the nature of contract archaeology and how small this field really is, some people choose not to reveal their name or the company they work for. Stay to the end of the show to hear how you can have a chance to answer these same questions. Okay, the first question, what is your name and who do you work for? Hi, everybody. My name is Russell Allen Wilms. And right now, I'm either self-employed or I work for my one-year-old son, Donovan. <laughs> I'm sure he's a taskmaster. <laughs> yeah. No, he's a pretty pretty hard boss. <laughs> How long have you been working in CRM archaeology? I graduated and started working in CRM about 2003, so about nine years now. No, I guess that's actually 11 years now. So what is the position you usually have in CRM and what is the highest position you've attained? And that means, you know, field tech, crew chief, project manager, et cetera. Uh, really, I haven't done much besides being a field tech. Um, I've worked in the office. I've worked helping in uh, the lab a little bit, but specifically in CRM, I've never risen above the level of field tech. I've never been a crew chief. Uh, that said, I have worked a lot on kind of technical skills. Uh, I build databases and work on stuff that typical field tech may not. And then Less related to CRM, but still articulating with it, I've worked as the uh, collections manager for a regional university and archaeology repository. So where have you worked? Like what states have you worked in, basically? Mostly the West. I don't think I've worked anywhere east of Mississippi, Um, but I've worked in mainly the Pacific Northwest, so Washington, Idaho, Oregon, um, and Alaska, but then also a lot in Nevada and the Great Basin and Arizona. That's been my main work areas. Okay. Yeah, I always forget you worked in Alaska. I think you mentioned that to me once before. Yeah, just real briefly. I think it's something anybody that wants to do some adventure archaeology should go do because it's <laughs> definitely a, a, a experience in and of itself. And it's a great place. Some of the archaeology is really cool. Um, in the particular area that I was working on, it was up in the Arctic Circle. And it had some pretty big implications for some of the first spots that people came into the North America. Um and some early archaeology kind of looking at migration and kind of technology used for mobile populations. And uh, it's a really exciting place to be. That said, uh, you better be used to roughing it and you better be able to deal with mosquitoes because, man, they will lift you up and carry you away. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what do mosquitoes taste like when they're floating in your soup? (laughs) (laughs) You you don't learn to eat around them. You just learn to take them in. It's extra protein. (laughs) Extra protein. Nice, nice. So what's the best thing that's happened to you that's related to being an archaeologist? Probably the best thing I've gotten out of CRM archaeology is getting to know a large number of other archaeologists from having worked with them personally, or I always joke that it's not even six degrees of separation in archaeology. It's more like two. If I don't know them, I know somebody that does. Right. Um, So getting to know just a lot of different people across the country, uh, they've helped me find work. I've helped them find work in the past. You know, I've kind of got friends across the country now that I can talk to or come crash with on the couch for a day or two if there's a conference in town. And really that community has been very valuable and kind of, especially now, uh, doing a little bit more for myself and then also focusing more on my family, having an archaeology outlet, really, of people Mm -hmm. across the country that, you know, might want to come visit me for a conference or up and available on Twitter to talk about, you know, what happened in American antiquity 
in the latest issue or to talk about different news articles that we're finding uh, has really been really rewarding for me professionally and personally. Great. So what is the biggest thing you would change that would make being a CRM professional better? If, if CRM archaeology were better able to mix with real life, um, it is incredibly difficult to prioritize and make family and marriage work mm-hmm. while also pursuing CRM archaeology as a career. It's so demanding and demands so much focus and kind of sacrifice in terms of what jobs you're willing to take, where you're willing to live, um, what type of money you're planning to make the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Just so, especially at, at an introductory level, it's so hard to find permanent work where you aren't unemployed every winter, um, where you're getting a steady paycheck, where you're having things like benefits uh, to pay for medical insurance or dental insurance, or especially with kids having just you know health insurance in general. Um, that really, I don't know about my wife, uh, who's been my partner for a long time before we were married as well, if it would have been able for me to even feel like an adult having a home to go back to or having a steady income coming in all the time. That said, I think early on, if you're interested in CRM archaeology, you might want to consider maybe having more flexible relationships or not trying to have a home base for a while because mm-hmm. you'll be able to have a lot more opportunities if you can say, hey, there's an awesome opportunity, but it's on the other side of the country. If you don't have an apartment that you're paying rent on and all you have to do is get yourself there or yourself and your car there, uh, you'll have a much more rewarding and enjoyable career as opposed to saying, well, I got my girlfriend or my boyfriend back home and man, I really miss them. And the only time we get to talk is whenever our time zones match up and I'm able to call them on the phone. That can be really difficult. Um, but as you go on, having a, a partner and backup in your life will make everything kind of more rewarding, in my opinion, not for everybody. <laughs> but the right. thing I would change is just finding ways to increase the professionalism in the industry. So there are things maybe like uh, archaeology field tech union or better wages, not extravagant wages, but wages more commensurate with the amount of education that goes into same archaeology and right. making more stable employment available. So you don't have to worry about, well, I can't spend money on X, Y, and Z this month because I might be employed for a month, three months, all winter um, in just a couple of weeks. So I need to save every last dime. Yeah. Stable employment is a tough one because of the nature of the the temporary nature of projects. So it's a, it's a tough problem to solve. Yeah. And it's, you know, something that's across the board that I think is as big a deal for project managers and for companies as it is for employees. Cause right. there are several companies I work for that have really tried to do right by their employees. But just because our work is not valued the same as maybe other environmental consultants or other scientists, uh, it's hard for company owners if they're just doing archaeology to keep people on staff mm-hmm. whenever it's so transient kind of the projects that they get. And it's hard to make a profit on it. I mean, most of the companies I know have kind of razor thin margins keeping folks employed. Um, and I think that's maybe a wider issue to be talked about is, you know, as environmental consultants, as people that are involved in some of these projects that have quite a bit of money going through them, how can we make our work more valued, not just in terms of the money, but also people realizing that it's something that should be valued as good science, as a public good, mm-hmm. and not just a checkbox that needs to be marked off so that they can build a pipeline or so that they can build a road. 
but that is something seen as good public relations for a company that's actually doing, you know, uh, the consultation that they need to in terms of seeing what historic and archaeological and especially cultural resources are out in an area. Mm-hmm. I'd like that to be as valued as, you know, saving the spotted barn owl uh, <laughs> is for environmental consultants. Because right. I think it is. Yeah. It's something to give up if we aren't considering what we're, what we're giving up whenever we're building something. So what is your career goal in CRM? And I'm interested in hearing this answer from you since you've taken a, a slightly different path than, uh, than other CRM archaeologists. My, my career goal is to keep myself doing something I love um, and doing a public good while making able to, to feed my family. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty, pretty wide one, so hopefully I'll be able to make that work. And that's something I'd advise other professionals to do is, you know, focus on what you need to get by in life, but then be really flexible on just about everything else. Um, my big goal that got me back going to grad school uh, after being in CRM was that I saw a really big disconnect between archaeology in the United States and cultural research management, which is wider than just archaeology, and the studies and work that we do, um, that we would often, you know, spend months, if not years, working on a project and then writing up the results, only to find that that report would maybe only have three copies made. Two of them would go to the project client and to maybe like the Bureau of Land Management office. And then one would stay with us. But there was very little chance anybody else was ever going to read it or that would much less be able to find it. And here in the United States, a lot of the consulting we do is under the National Historic Preservation Act of 1966. And in its preamble, the whole reason for that legislation is to look and evaluate these cultural resources so that they give, I believe it's direction and uh, direction and inspiration to the American people. Mm-hmm. And if those reports are only going to other archaeologists or only going to the company and the managing agency, there's no way in hell that they're able to provide what they're supposed to do to the American people in terms of talking about our history, talking about what culture is important to us, to Native American groups, to other indigenous communities in the area, uh, because that information isn't available to them. And I think that is a really big disconnect that I wanted to change. So along those lines, when I went back to graduate school, one of the things I focused on was what happens to archaeological reports after they get into the great literature mm-hmm. and how can we get not only the raw data out, but also um, the information out to the public, to other archaeologists, to other scientists. Uh, right now, a really big focus and one of the things that I did on, on this project mentioned up in Alaska was collaborating with climate scientists to kind of add a human dimension to climate data um, over the long period to see how in the past when humans have gone through climate change, how we've reacted, what's been good, what's been bad. In the archaeological record, you see correlating with you know changes in climate, um, sometimes warfare, definitely human migrations across the landscape. Sometimes people come together and band together in order to kind of combat climate change or lack of resources or less water. Sometimes people disperse from heavily uh, populated areas because they're able to more effectively be on the landscape. And I think there's some pretty good lessons that can be learned, not only in what effect environment has had on humanity, uh, but also what effect humanity has had on our environment. And then also what our options are. Because uh, one of the things in talking with, especially uh, geologists, I took a uh, environmental geology class in graduate school, 
is that a lot of climate scientists see a very deterministic relationship uh, between climate and human reactions and see it as climate dictating how humans respond, which is environmental determinism. I mean, that's um, been an archaeological theory for a while. And, but we also have the idea that humans have agency, that we mm -hmm. can modify and shape how we react to changes in the environment. That's what humans are good at is adapting. And right now, a lot of the climate scientists I've talked to don't see that relationship. They kind of see it as if the climate changes, we're going to have X, Y, and Z, bar none. It's going to be war. It's going to be chaos. It's going to be all these bad things. Right. And I see a little bit more room for, hey, if we are smart about this, humanity has in the past had examples of both good and bad reactions. We're very adaptable. We're very smart. Uh, whenever we plan ahead a little bit, we can have good outcomes, even of pretty drastic climate changes, that we can figure this stuff out. And if we start now, or if we had started, you know, 50 years ago, I have pretty good belief that using kind of history and archaeology as examples, that we can tackle some of these problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, be perfect. Yeah, it definitely won't be applied across everybody. But if we are smart about how we use that information, we'll be able to affect and kind of control our fates a lot better than people have if they haven't paid attention to the lessons that history and archaeology have to teach us. So that's my rant. My, my goal <laughs> is to first get archaeological information out there and second to save the world. So, you know, right. I got that going for me. All right. So final question. If you could give an undergrad thinking about CRM as a career, um, so to speak, one piece of advice, what would that be? Oh, just one? <laughs> just one. Okay. Uh, just one, get wide experience. Mm -hmm. If you're thinking about CRM, archaeology as a career, try it as soon and as much as possible to see if it's something that you want to stick with because it's at least as much a lifestyle as it is a career path. And you'll be much better figuring out if it's something that makes you happy and is something that you can live with early on mm -hmm. um, rather than 20 years down the road and you know two or three advanced degrees down the road figuring out that it's not for you. So start early, test it out, see if it's something that works with your lifestyle and the life that you want to have 10, 20 years down the road, and then make that decision to go back to grad school and spend $50,000 on, on an MA or a PhD <laughs> right, right. before you figure out that you're 30 or 40 and the only options left to you are to go work at Costco or, you know, and nothing against working at Costco. They're actually a pretty good company, but I think you'll be much happier figuring out kind of those long life decisions early on rather than having to adapt later on. Okay. Well, there's only one more question that I don't have on the list that I only ask of a few people that have uh, an online presence, but where can people go on the web to find out more about what you're doing and to follow, follow things that you're into? Yeah. If people are interested in, in keeping up with me or want to talk to me or ask me questions, probably the best places are my personal webpage and business webpage at diachronicdesign.com. Uh, which is where I have news about my business and services, and then also just a blog about whatever thoughts come to mind. Mm -hmm. And then my Twitter handle, my personal one is MJSTRWY on Twitter, uh, which is a handle I came up with a long time ago to intentionally have no vowels and make hard to pronounce, but I say <laughs> MJ Stairway. Um, and then I also have a diachronic design Twitter handle at diachronicd on Twitter. All right. Well, thanks, Russell, and we'll see you in the field. Sounds good, Chris. Bye, everybody. 
Show notes for this and all episodes can be found on the Archaeology Podcast Network website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash profiles. At that page, you'll also find a form that you can fill out so you can be interviewed on the show. Interviews take less than 30 minutes and you don't need any special equipment. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the field. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.